Relationships are central to a woman's entire nature, and it can be really frustrating if, if your relationships are not thriving, flourishing, or if you even maybe feel stuck about how to help them. In today's episode, I have guest Sarah Ho with me, who is an expert in both scripture and in psychology. She is trained and educated in both arenas. And the beautiful thing about it is that in today's episode, we dive into lies that women believe about relationships and that sometimes those lies are things we pick up through life from trauma. Sometimes they're from misunderstood scripture and everything in between. And so we cover both of those areas and we give you some practical tools on how to know if you're studying scripture correctly to really understand what God's trying to say as well as some tools on how to have better communication in your relationships. There's just so much good stuff in this episode. You're going to want to listen to the entire thing and connect with Sarah online. All right, let's jump in. Hi, you're listening to Java with Jen with your host, Jenna Lee Samuel. On this show, I bring the simplicity of hearing God's voice into everyday life in a no-nonsense, authentic, and super practical way. With coffee in hand and real life in our faces, let's do this. Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for joining me for another episode here at Java with Jen. I have a very interesting guest with me today, Miss Sarah Ho, who I met through actually a mutual friend. Um, she is a wife and a mother of five children. She's always going. She's got a lot on her plate and a lot of things the Lord has put in her hands. And so she spends her time doing multiple different things, including being a freelance writer. She's a pastor, a licensed professional clinical counselor, and she has a passion for reaching women now all over the world. And I'm very excited about all of these different areas of expertise that she brings. And I wanted to pull her on when, when I first met her, I was like, um, Sarah, I think we actually, let's do two podcasts because I couldn't make up my mind which area to have her lean into because she just had a wealth of knowledge in so many areas. And so Sarah, thank you for being willing to come on my show, not just for one, but for two episodes. <laughs> thank you for having me, Jenny Lee. This is awesome. Um, I have done a couple podcast interviews before, and it's just such a joy to speak with people that actually enjoy talking about God. Yeah. So I appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. Well, okay. So obviously I didn't go into the bulk of your bio. It was lengthy. Yeah. And I feel like I always like to hear it from you guys better because, you know, I'm just saying words, you're sharing your heart. So <laughs> um, why don't you share briefly for my listeners? They're unfamiliar with you for the most part, probably. And so share just a little bit about who you are in this episode. We're diving into the lies that women believe about relationships. And so we're leaning into your um, clinical experience and the psychologist side of you. Um, so why don't you give a little bit of background about how you maybe got into that and what you do in that area? Sure. So first of all, relationships are extremely important to me. Um, first and foremost, I'm a lover of Jesus. That's my number one relationship. And then I have an outstanding husband of 20 years. We just celebrate our 20 year anniversary Aww, and we have five kids, one of which is married and has given me my very first and only granddaughter. And so we have a lot of family stuff that we do. That is our bulk of our relationships. And we actually incorporate our kids in our ministry stuff. Mm -hmm. So um, it's how our house houses run very smoothly when you incorporate ministry and family at the same time and not keep them separate. Mm -hmm. um, I am a licensed professional clinical counselor, like you had said, and 
I do that predominantly as my paid gig, but I also am a pastor of two churches. One is in Pakistan and the other one is in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And it's been a joy to do all of that. I feel like uh, being a counselor has given me the affordability to be able to be a minister because my ministry stuff is all uh, pro bono free, whatever you want to say. It's, it's, I don't get paid for it. I do it because I love Jesus and this is what he's called me to do. And so as a counselor, I have the financial means to do those things without having to rely on others for support. So it's been awesome. That's amazing. I love that you pull your kids into everything. Um, I actually have questions related to that, but let's stay on topic for now. Uh, (laughs) And so, uh, where do you actually live? Are you in New Mexico? Yes, we live in Albuquerque, New Mexico. It's okay. the um, greatest part of the state. Um, currently, actually, is Balloon Fiesta time. If you have never experienced International Balloon Fiesta, I recommend you come over in the first week of October because it is outstanding, very pretty. All these uh, hot air balloons are up outside right now, and they fly over the top of us, and it's spectacular to see. So mm. we're actually only known for that, that and our green chili. Well, you know, you got to be known for something. I, you know, because I'm originally from Phoenix, we would experience sometimes, and when we would do morning hikes and climb the local close by small mountains, that we would early at sunrise would be when they would throw up hot air balloons. And it was just beautiful seeing these hot air balloons with the sunrise. And it was magical. I've never been in one, I don't think, that I can recall. I'm sure I would have remembered if I had. I've lived here 20, uh, 22 years, and we have never been in a hot air balloon except to take pictures because they let you board the basket uh-huh. to do the pictures but then you you get out and so we've done that well, but we haven't flown in them yet I mean first things first at least you got in the basket yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay so let's let's navigate into this topic so I was very excited about you being able to speak to women in relationships obviously every woman knows that relationships are core to our female nature and I think that's part of what um, gives women a spirit of wisdom. And because we're so driven by the importance of relationships and everything I feel like in scripture really revolves around relationships, whether it's your relationship with the Lord, your relationship with people. And so you having your background in psychology and you specialize in marriages, in dysfunctional families and in trauma recovery. How did this actually come about? What pulled you into this field and what role did God's uh, voice and the Holy Spirit's leading play in you taking this path? So that is actually my very most personal answer. So I'm going to get real raw with you guys. When I was 13 years old, uh, I was raped by a friend. Mm. And really shortly after that, from the age 13 to 16, I was actually molested by my ex-brother-in-law. And because of that, my whole teenage years and my young adult years, I was just spiraling out of control, Mm. um, doing anything and everything to hide my pain, And, uh, there's a saying that's hurt people, hurt people. Mm -hmm. That's what I was doing. I was hurt. So I was damaging and hurting others Mm -hmm. and did that for the better part of my young adult years as well. Mm -hmm. Until one day I just felt the Lord telling me, you need to go back to church. I had, I had basically walked out of the church as a teenager because I felt like I was being 
and this is kind of a weird thing to say because I hear people throw it around a lot, but I felt spiritual or religious abuse growing up in a church that saw me just as a bad kid, not a sinner needing grace, needing needing somebody to walk alongside me and say, let me show you how life is supposed to be. Um, I felt very neglected and um, kind of thrown to the side by the church. Mm-hmm. So I left the church and left until I was a young adult. And the Lord's like, we need to get you back where you need to be. Yeah. So I started volunteering in youth group um, as a youth leader. And I would read the word, but I didn't understand how to read it for meaning. I was reading the black and white words mm-hmm. and doing the very best I could because yeah. I didn't have anybody at the time to teach me how to do it. But I had this passion and this calling to help teenagers who potentially had suffered similar situations mm-hmm. to help them break free of their bondage. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't quite know how, because the Lord was calling me to something that in that time, in that religious practice was not allowed. And so every fiber in my being felt called to be a pastor and had such a drive and such a passion for pastoring other people. And yet where I grew up, it was not something that was, um, it was a taboo. Like you cannot do that because you're a woman, so, because I'm a woman. Yes. Yeah. And so I thought, well, okay, if I can't do that, uh-huh. how can I support people? And so I decided to go back to school, um, which, you know, at, at that time I was 30, 30 something. I think I was 32. Uh, and it, you know, people don't really enter college again at 32, or at least I didn't know anybody that would go to college that, that late in life. Mm-hmm. But my daddy had said something to my mom years ago as she, he said, you know, you can be this age with a degree, or you can be this age without a degree. And so that just kept resonating in my ear. And, and I thought he's right. Like I could be somebody with a degree or without, and this degree might help me. Mm-hmm. So I went to Grand Canyon university. And I signed up for it because that's where I'm from. And I thought my whole life, if I ever go to college, I want to go there. And I didn't think that was ever going to happen. But I got a phone call from somebody one day from Grand Canyon, had never applied, had never put in any kind of little question box, anything like that. And I just got a random call asking me if I would consider going to college. Wow. And I had, I had a whole list of like things that were like, if you don't say this, then I'm not going to go. If you don't make sure this happens, then I'm not going to create a whole list of like almost, dis- yeah, almost <laughs> daring God to like make it, um, show that, you know, all the things people said about me were correct. The bad stuff. And so, um, the guy was answering questions that were exactly how my heart felt. And it was the Lord telling me, no, baby, I've got this. We're going to do this. So I, I got my bachelor's in biblical studies, which was outstanding because I thought if I can help somebody, I need to first learn how to use his word to help them, yeah. not just read black and white. So I got my bachelor's in biblical studies. And then I got my, um, you know, during that time, actually, I should say during that time, while I was getting my bachelor's, I still had this passion to be a pastor and I was still being told no. So I thought, what could I do master's degree wise that would help out people since I can't do what the Lord's calling me to do. And so in my mind, theology was out. 
because I would never get hired as a pastor. So theology was not a possibility. Mm. Wasn't really a fan of the curriculum for education. So I thought, what about counseling? Because that's what pastors do. They counsel. Yeah. Yeah. So I got my master's in professional counseling. I started working right after, and I now currently own um, a business co-own, actually one of my best friends and I co-own Minded House Counseling in Albuquerque. We have three locations and we have 26 people working for us. Wow. We started it two years ago and it has just exploded and yeah. it's the award. Wow. But because of getting my professional counseling degree, I started um, seeing things from a different perspective because as a counselor, you're taught how to look uh, from other people's vantage points and how they think. And I began to notice other practices in faith-based communities and realized that I am a Christ follower and Christ did it a specific way. I don't want to identify myself as a religion because I think that puts Christ Mm -hmm. in a box. Mm -hmm. And so um, I started reading more and I actually went to seminary and graduated from seminary and was able to become a pastor. And ultimately I started my own church here in New Mexico. But prior to that, Uh I was asked to start a church in Pakistan. And so it's just like, God has just put so many things in place and it's been one thing after another. And it's one of those things where you just sit back and go, I shouldn't be surprised by this, God, because you just continue to do this. But <laughs> I keep getting blown away. And it's, yeah. it's amazing. That's so, incredible. Well, and yeah. I love, which I mean, in the next episode, we're going to dive deeper into the the ministry aspect and like yes. lies that women believe about church. Um, mm-hmm. So that's going to be really great. And so I'm excited to go there with you. But as far as the trauma thing, you know, it's interesting that you mention the role that, um, believing things that you had been taught in scripture that maybe weren't actually accurate because you didn't understand context, you know, you're going for the black and white. And I, yesterday we were were sitting in a church in Louisiana, visiting family, and he made it, he put a passage on the screen where the devil was tempting Jesus and where the devil was using scripture to try to trap Jesus. And he was like, guys, the devil quoted the scripture correctly. He just quoted it out of context. And it was like, it was an epiphany for me that because for me, my own trauma came from a relationship that was um, abusive and it was my out of context understanding of scripture that allowed me to stay in the harmful situation rather than recognizing I had a responsibility for boundaries and, and maybe even, you know, to separate from that relationship and different things. And so I find that the enemy can weaponize scripture against us by simply taking it out of context. And that's where it's so important that we can look at scripture through the whole counsel of the word, understand, which, I mean, to be honest, I think for some people, it might feel overwhelming. Like, well, then how do I know if I'm even reading scripture correctly? So maybe even what would you say to that right there? Like, how can the simple average person, simple, sorry, that sounds like an insult, but the average person who hasn't gone to theology school, what are some simple little check boxes they can uh, filter what they're reading through to ensure that they're getting it as contextual as possible? I'm so glad you said that because when I uh, got my degree in biblical counseling, I asked the Lord, I'm like, 
how do I take what you just taught me and teach others to do this? Because I have a degree in this, but the average person does not. So how do I make it simple for them to understand? And there's lots of tools. Um, You know, Joyce Meyer has her own little version of studying. That's amazing. Um, Kay Arthur has, if you have time to sit and do an inductive Bible study, holy smokes, really, that is amazing, but it's, it's a lot of time and it's, it's a lot of things you got to remember. Um, <laughs> and I did both and I, I think they're amazing. And I like Beth Moore's studies and I liked Priscilla Schreier's studies, but God kept telling me, no, I've got something for you. I understand that these people did this and it, they're, they work, but I have something for you. So then I started thinking, okay, what if I just use something like the SOAP method, which is actually, even though we use it in the Christian circle, uh-huh. it's actually a, um, specifically for doctors. It's one of the things they use to document when they meet um, patients, that and the DAP, uh, DAP theory. Okay. Uh, both are used for documenting progress notes of seeing patients. Mm-hmm. And the Holy Spirit's like, well, yeah. And, and people that come to you are going to be like patients for you. And so how are you going to teach them using my word. And he says, you need to dig deep in my soil. And I'm like your soil. And so God and I always have this dialogue. It's, it's a very cool internal dialogue that I have this discussion with him when I'm, Mm -hmm. when I'm talking to him, it's not like the very ritualistic, you know, fold your hands and pray and just sit there in silence. No, I I literally talk in my head. I hear him and he converses with me. Uh And so he's telling me what soil is. He says, my word is soil. And we need to dig deep, put our roots down deep in his soil. And he gave me the acronym for soil. So S is stuck out scripture. Whenever I read the Bible, before I even start reading, I pray, Lord, there's something in here that you have me for specifically for today. Mm. So make it pop off the page. And it always does. Whether I'm reading five chapters or two verses, one thing jumps out. That's like, I needed that right now. That's what I need. So the S is stuck out scripture. The O is observation orientation. Now this is when you're in the middle of the woods or you're in, in some lost desert kind of place, the military will use uh, compasses mm-hmm. to orientate themselves to their location and figure out where they need to be by the facts that they can see. I can see that there's trees over here. I can see that there's water on this side. I can see the sun is setting that, therefore I'm going west. So they orientate themselves by the facts. So the observation orientation is all the facts we know that we're reading from that verse. And when you start something, like let's say the book of John, you're gonna start knowing that the author is John, but you may not know that he talks about himself in the third person quite often (laughs) until you get further down the line, you know? You may also not know that he, there are two Johns that are being spoken about in the book of John. One is the John, the beloved, the other one's the baptizer. Mm -hmm. And so you have to be able to figure out which John we're conversing with in this moment. So it's all the facts. And some of those facts, the easiest way to explain it is when you were a kid and you were in English, you learned who, what, when, where, why, and how. Those are our facts. When you first start out in the book of John, the only fact you might know is that John's the author. You may not know what time it took place, but you're going to build off of that the more you read. Mm -hmm. So the observation orientation is your facts. The insightful interpretation, which is my eye, Mm -hmm. is the facts that I just discovered. What is God saying to me 
about those facts or my current situation about those facts mm. and um, not necessarily how I apply it, but how am I interpreting that? How am I supposed to receive that? Yeah. And this is where the Holy Spirit comes into play. This is where the Holy Spirit will give you peace by a thought you had, or he will not allow you to have peace about a thought you have. That's that's kind of my compass telling me I'm in the right direction or no, baby, you are so far off. You need to go the opposite direction. Yeah, Peace is his tool to show us where we are at in the right place or the right time. And so this is when I'm leaning into the Holy Spirit saying, Lord, I hear what you're saying. And I think this, can you, can you show me that I'm in the right direction? Or can you show me that I need to get out of the space Yeah. and I will receive the peace or I will receive like an unsettling feeling. Sometimes it feels like a, my stomach is turning or I just feel unsure. Like, I don't know that I like that. Yeah. And it's just his red flag to me. Mm-hmm. And everybody's different, but this is how I communicate with the Lord, but they may get something else. They may get headaches or they may feel like, um, they're on the wrong path. They just may feel like they're on the wrong path and that's the Holy Spirit talking to them. So the insightful interpretation is all my connection with the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. That's what that is. The L is my life lesson. So I usually write this out as a prayer. So as I'm writing this soil in my journal, I put my S and I write the scripture. I put my O and I write all my facts. Mm -hmm. I put my I and I write what he's trying to explain to me. And then I put my L and I write a prayer to him specifically, identifying where I need to make my changes for me. Mm -hmm. Because I can't fix everybody else, but I can fix me. Yeah. And in fixing me, it impacts everybody else. Mm -hmm. So I'll write, you know, Lord, thank you for pointing out today that um, I need to focus more on on other people's needs and less on my own. Moving forward, my goal and my choice is to make them a priority because your word says that I love you and love others before myself. Mm -hmm. So I need to make sure that that is what I'm doing. But thank you for being so patient for me again Mm -hmm. in Jesus' name. Amen. So he gave me the soil and it has been so eye-opening for women because they've tried all kinds of things and they just needed something that was simple that they could put into view um, in like a picture version and soil made sense. Like if I'm learning, I'm digging down in the stuff to figure things out, kind of like ex- excavating as a um, paleontologist or as a archaeologist, you're ex excavating the dirt to find the treasures I'm excavating his word of God to find the treasures he has for me so sometimes uh people get to the orientation part the observation orientation and they don't know you had just mentioned they people don't know how to decide between the black and white black and white version and the context Mm -hmm. And in the observation orientation, you're also looking at context, culture, and content. Mm -hmm. So it's not just a black and white verse. The Lord never just wrote in black and white. Every single book has a genre. Mm -hmm. So you got to figure out what genre you're reading in. Every book has a purpose for why they're writing it. Um, Most of Paul's letters, the uh, epistles were written for particular populations. 
And so you have to consider what was going on with those populations before you determine what he was trying to say. And yet people take him more specifically than anybody else out of context because they'll- He was sarcastic. That didn't help. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Um, They'll see a, a verse in black and white and they'll assume this is- everybody's verse Mm -hmm. but in actuality this was a population he was addressing because someone had written him a letter to say hey we have this issue how do we address this issue and he replied back in his letter to say if this is the case then this is what we need to do in this case yeah yeah this is so good so I feel like since our topic today of course is the lies women believe about relationships one of the most important relationships you as listeners have is your relationship to the Lord. Because if you're a believer and your relationship with the Lord is a priority, everything that that you walk away from that relationship with is going to overflow into and impact your human relationships. Now, for me, I didn't realize until years later, like I looked back on this relationship that had been very unhealthy, very destructive and harmful to me. And I was like, why did I stay? Why did I, why did I, why did I not have boundaries? Why did I this? Why did I that? And I realized that a lot of the scriptures that I was believing, I think that due to some childhood wounds, which were very early on and were corrected early on, um, due to those childhood wounds, I didn't know I had a wound that caused me to operate with a lack of boundaries in certain, in certain right. relationships and certain <laughs> environments. And, um, and I think it was because the person that was operating unhealthfully I admired their spirituality. I admired qualities about them to such a degree that I actually tried to make sense of their red flags and tried to make peace with their red flags rather than just recognizing, no, that's a red flag. (laughs) And so the scriptures that were like, um, turn the other cheek or die to yourself or, you know, love others, uh, I thought the scripture is love others and love God more than yourself, but that's actually not biblical. The Bible says to love others as you love yourself. If you're not loving yourself from a healthy space, you can't love others from a healthy space, right? And so I realized that I had to treat myself with some respect and that required some boundaries. And so what are some common red flags that someone's trauma is impacting their relationships? My trauma that I didn't even realize I had was impacting my relationship in that it caused me to live without boundaries, which caused this relationship to be harmful to me. Um, mm-hmm. and, and scripture, I have since learned there are plenty of scriptures that are like, don't be friends with an angry man, lest you uh, learn his ways and endanger your soul. Like stay away from angry people. They will harm you. Um, or other ones like, like even uh, in Matthew 18, when you confront someone who's been sinning against you, basically you, you confront it three times and you have nothing right. to do with them, you know? Right. So there are pictures in scripture of how we can have healthy boundaries to guard our own heart. Like Proverbs says, guard your heart above all else for out of it flow the issues of life. So what are some common red flags to someone who is like, I don't know if trauma is shaping my relationship, but I do know I have a relationship that causes me a lot of pain or that makes me uneasy. What are some things they can look for? So usually the biggest red flags are catastrophizing or accusing. Um, Red flags in the other person? Yes. Like I'm traumatized. So I will accuse the other person of doing things that may somebody may have done to me. Mm-hmm. So for instance, if I was cheated on, mm-hmm. 
and I'm in a new relationship, I'm going to start reading my, my spouse's texts. I'm going to start checking to see when they're getting home. I'm, and they may not have done anything whatsoever to warrant it, but my trauma is now accusing the next person. Um, catastrophizing is, is thinking the absolute worst possible situation when it's something super small. And women tend to do that a lot, um, more so than men. So if any one of those things are happening, you can, you can bet that your trauma is playing a significant role in your communication. Mm -hmm. Anything that has a poor communication skills, any relationship that has poor communication skills is affected by a trauma situation. Mm, that's a good um, because communication is the first thing to go mm. and it affects every aspect of our relationship in some form or fashion. That's good. So if there are communication issues, chances are there's some deep-seated trauma that has not been dealt with. And I mean, that's kind of what happened with me as a young adult. You know, I was as a teenager and young adult, I was taking everybody else out. Yeah. And it wasn't until I was in my master's program, they actually had an assignment for me to do what well, all the kids to, to do was to think of a situation that we would have been in and that we would have to talk to a counselor about. And obviously that was the forefront of my mind mm -hmm. and I didn't know how to address it. So I decided to write a book mm -hmm. and it was the first book I, I had ever written I'm in the process of book two. So it was very young. I'm sure there's lots of mistakes, but the point of it was not for people to use, but for me to work through my trauma using God's word and then potentially by default, helping someone else get through sexual abuse using God's word. Mm. So um, I needed to break the barriers. And I realized my communication was my red flag because I was tearing other people down. And so if there, if there's a communication issue, chances are there's some sort of trauma that has not been dealt with that needs to be pulled up by the root. Uh, if let there me, is, let me, sorry. let me dig into that a little further. When you say a communication issue, I'm, my brain is thinking that could be anything like you try to communicate, uh, about, situations in the relationship and the other person is defensive, right? That would be a communication issue, correct? That's a communication issue. Okay. Or say um, there's lying. That's a communication issue. Let's say there's uh, a lot of accusation, name calling, or even gaslighting, twisting yes. of yes. the conversation, twisting of the reality. That's a communication issue. Um, yes. What are some, what are some simple communication issues that maybe people don't recognize? Oh, this is a communication issue. Right. Uh, so one is needing to have the last word, mm. uh, needing to be right, needing to point the other person back to their fault. Mm. In other words, if you're having a talk with somebody and they're trying to explain how they're feeling by what you have done, instead of acknowledging what you've done, you then point them back to what the other person did instead of addressing your issue. So sense. anytime, anytime we don't acknowledge our part mm -hmm. and identify how to correct our part, then we are in a communication issue error. Yeah. That'd be blaming, blaming instead of taking responsibility. Yes. That's yes. good. Okay. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead and hit, okay. hit the second thing. 
usually the communication issue is very recognizable when uh, there's barriers that have been put up or somebody has dropped all their, their boundaries, like decided it's okay, I let this slide. Um, those are big, big red flags for being communication issues. It means that your voice isn't uh, being validated mm -hmm. and giving the perspective that it should. Yeah. whether you're trying to bulldoze over somebody or whether you're trying to allow somebody to bulldoze over you, yeah. there is a communication error. Mm -hmm. So when I'm talking to clients, I actually tell them clients, patients, whatever you want to call them. I actually tell them right away, uh, we're going to get back to the preschool version of communication. Mm -hmm. And that means while I'm talking, you're not sitting there thinking about what your next thing is that you want to say. You're actually absorbing what I'm saying and then responding with a, this is active listening skills, mm -hmm. responding with a reply that is a summary of what I just said. Mm -hmm. So this is what happened. This is how it made me feel. And this is what we can do about that. This is assertive communication. We always use passive aggressive or passive or aggressive. Mm -hmm. All of those are unhealthy. But assertive communication is the healthy version. That's when you're actually expressing to somebody what has happened to you, how that made you feel, and what could we do moving forward to not make that happen again. The other person then takes what you just said and in active, use, active listening skills uses that mm -hmm. to restate it so that they can then acknowledge your point is valid. Mm -hmm. I heard you and I will do whatever you've said, or I will do something similar and here's what it is. Yeah. So that's good. That's very, practical. I tell my, yeah, I tell my patients, it's kind of like preschool version of communication, but once you get the hang of it, it'll become a new way of life and you won't feel disconnected to your partner or whoever it is that you're having a struggle in a relationship with, because you'll be on a, on a similar communication page and feel like there's a so, a more solid relationship. So good. And I feel like that's something that's really practical and simple. That's essential for us as moms to teach our kids. Yes. Um, what, what, and I have four boys. And so I'm constantly thinking, how can I set them up to be emotionally, uh, have like a, a high emotional intelligence, like <laughs> where they are emotionally healthy individuals, because I've been impacted by emotional immaturity and how that can be very toxic in a relationship. And uh, it's a little disorienting because it's subtle. So what are some lies that women believe about relationships that cause us to stay in unhealthy spaces or maybe even not recognize and deal with our own trauma? Yeah, usually the number one is that we don't deserve any better. Mm. That's that's number one. Uh, so, you know, I'm in a relationship with somebody and I'm staying there because nobody could possibly love me more than this. Mm. Um, I did all these bad things when I was younger. So therefore this is all that I deserve. Mm -hmm. um, I did something to deserve how I'm being treated. Mm. And ultimately we are the daughters of a king. Yeah. Ultimately we were given grace just like men were. Ultimately we were given the opportunity to change our world just like men were and we deserve to be in the place of royal priesthood just like men were because that's what god said yeah and so we need to be able to acknowledge 
the facts about who we are. And sometimes that means going and doing like a word study in God's word about women and who they're called to be and how, you know, his word says that there's neither male nor female, meaning everybody is called to the kingdom. Everybody is called to serve and, you know, do ministry for God's kingdom. And because of that, we all have the same promises that were promised to Abraham and we need to be operating in that. And somebody who speaks against that is actually speaking false of God. Mm. So in order to take yourself out of a toxic situation, you need to be able to go back to learning who God says you are. Mm, That's good. That's really and once you learn who God says you are, then you can see, you know, I, let's say a husband and wife relationship. I love this man. The word of God says I'm not to divorce him, but this is not acceptable. Yeah. And because it's not acceptable, I'm going to use assertive communication Mm -hmm. and really point that out to my husband. And if that means that I have to take myself out of the situation, not divorced, but out of the situation until he can get help, then that's what I can do. If that means that um, I need to have someone come stay at our house just to help manage the house or just to help in a safety situation, I can do that. But how it's working right now is not biblical and something needs to change. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And even on that one, I would, I, I feel like I have been incredibly discouraged sounds heavy, but discouraged by the lack of resources that are within the church for women who find themselves in emotionally, verbally, and spiritually abusive relationships, because it's not, it's not tangible. You know, you can have a woman who's in such an emotionally abusive relationship, who's praying that her husband will die praying that he'll just hit her, praying he'll just have an affair so she can get out. And I'm like, okay, that's a red flag that you're not understanding scripture correctly. Because, because like, for example, when I had been in a really toxic relationship and I finally shared with my dad, um, what was going on? He was like, if I had known what was going on, I would have come and picked you up myself to get you out of there. And it just was an epiphany to me. I'm like, if my human father felt that way, how much more did my heavenly father feel that way? You know what I right. mean? Right. And so I feel like we, as women, sometimes we will um, not recognize like God's heart is never for abuse. And so turning the other cheek, dying to yourself, all of those things are never to justify abuse or toxicity. And when there is abuse in an, in a marriage, the covenant is broken because of the abuse. You don't even have to have an affair for the covenant to be broken. Like it's broken when you're not maintaining your promise to each other to love and cherish one another. And, um, anyway, so I just feel like it, it's, I've, I have found some resources that I've been able to refer a lot of women to that, um, that help kind of uncover some religious thinking around, that because it is actually sadly very, very common for women to be caught in marriages that are verbally and emotionally and spiritually abusive and they don't, they don't know what to do with it, you know? And so that's where some of those lies can come in too. Um, when we're not believing the truth about ourselves or about how the Lord feels about us, or even what the, what God, what God's heart towards marriage is. Um, I think that we get into some really unhealthy spaces and we tolerate some things that don't need to be tolerated. 
So what are, you mentioned that women believing that they don't deserve better or that they earned this somehow. Um, what are some truths that women should be replacing these lies with? You mentioned, of course, understanding their identity in the Lord. Sometimes I think when women hear that, they get kind of overwhelmed by the abstractness of it. Like, what the heck? How do I do that? Like, I don't I don't know what that looks like on my identity. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So how would you say that women can find scriptures and truths that will help combat those wrong beliefs? You know, I, you're right. It is an abstract thing. And it's not that it actually is. It's because that's how it's taught. Mm -hmm. Um, I, you know, like I said, I had to go to Bible college and then seminary to figure it out, but that's not actually how it is. Uh -huh. When you study scripture and you pull out the females in the Bible, there's actually, um, several books that are kind of humorous, but, um, good actually. Um, bad girls in the Bible is one of them. Really bad girls in the Bible is one of them. Then there's women of the Bible. It's actually, uh, I believe it's a Bible study Bible. Um, but if you pull out the chunks of spaces where they mention women and see what's going on and replace it with a guy's name, just, mm -hmm. just figure out a guy's name and replace it. And you will actually hear that the Lord has appointed these women in the same positions that he appointed men in. Wow. You will hear that uh, the Lord has given the same authority and power and um, spiritual awareness mm -hmm. that men have received in the Bible. If you just replace those female names with male names, you'll see it. Yeah. But unfortunately, uh, we still have a very large community of, uh, old school men who are attached to the King James version of the Bible. Yeah. And it's still the Bible. I'm not discrediting the Bible. I will say people are fallible yes. and the KJV is one of the most inaccurate Bibles because it was written by a man, not written, but translated mm -hmm. by a man that was very much a chauvinist and could not believe while reading Greek and Hebrew or Hebrew Greek that um, God would have said these things about women. And so he left some things out and he changed um, he, the word human for the word man. And so there's a lot of discrepancies because of his personal bias. Yeah. So if you go back and read scripture and see where these women are and what they were doing, you'll be able to identify that you have every right and every calling to be the same as these women were in the, in the Bible and as the men were. Sometimes it's just you being able to see it from a unbiased male perspective. Mm -hmm. And I actually had a male teacher um, that preached to a congregation and he in introduced the whole sermon as I just want to apologize today mm -hmm. to every woman here. Wow. And it caught my attention and I listened and he went through all of the scriptures to get taken out of context again more of them were about paul but still out of context and address them as they were meant to be addressed wow. and then more recently which is very cool more recently 
someone who very much did not support women in ministry, um, Pastor Rick Warren came forward and wrote an apology letter to women because he had been doing it for, I think he said five decades wrong. Mm -hmm. And um, they finally allowed women to be pastors. And then he explained that it's not, the role of pastor is not um, identified as head over everybody. It's spiritual leadership. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, you could be a pastor in women's ministry. You could be a pastor of the church. You could be pastor of kids church. You're still the leadership of that, the head of the church will, and has always been Christ, right? It has never been identified as man is the head of the church. Mm -hmm. Husband is the head of wife. Yes. So which I do, which to, to get back on, on a topic, I think that that is one lie that women have believed in relationship in yes. church relationships that, because yes. I believed that for a long time too. I thought like my husband used to say, like, you know, our pastor is like the voice of God in our life. But there was a, a pastor that we worked under where I, um, just, I, I struggled with his leadership because, uh, uh, I just didn't feel like I had a voice. There was a little bit of intimidation there. There was just some chauvinism there. And so I had so much confusion in my life. And I think, I was allowing his voice to carry the weight of my husband in my life. And I was allowing his voice to carry the weight of God in my life. Then I finally realized when all I had was confusion around his voice, I was like, you know what? God is not the God of confusion. So I have permission to disregard respectfully what he's saying or simply disagree with what he's saying and realize that I'm responsible to God's voice in my life. And his voice is not it doesn't go past the four walls of the church. Like your pastor's leadership in your life is for within the four walls of the church. He doesn't get That's to tell right. you how to manage your finances That's or right. how to, he can, he can offer wisdom and it's up to you if you want to take that wisdom, but no pastor should ever have the measure of control or influence in your life that your husband does. Your husband right. is the one who is the head over you, not your, not your pastor. Pastor's a leader. Pastor is a, a shepherd, but he's not Jesus. He's not the Holy Spirit. He's not your husband. <laughs> So I think that's one lie that women get really confused with, and it can create some toxicity yes. in, in their church relationships too. Yes. Yes. And so, I totally agree. Uh, we actually recently walked through something similar. Um, my husband and I, in our transition of churches, uh, we felt called to do something. And when I say we, my husband and I talk about everything mm-hmm. and in our household. Our household is ministry. Our household does ministry together. It's never a, she's doing this and he's doing that, or the kids are doing this and mom's doing this. It's the whole household is doing ministry and we support the other people because we know that they're called by God to do things. And so he knew, and I knew that I was called to lead a church and, um, he was called to be the support and it's very uncommon, Mm -hmm. um, and we've gotten some looks, <laughs> but ultimately my first priority is to listen to God. And then my second priority is to get the wisdom of my husband yeah. and what he believes is, is truth by what, but the, what God has told him mm-hmm. and he had peace about it. He understood he was 100% on board 
And yet the church we were coming from, um, the pastors of the church really kind of looked at it as Sarah was controlling the situation mm -hmm. and that um, Sarah should have come to them for advice and guidance when it has absolutely nothing to do with the church we were in. Mm -hmm. So um, putting themselves in the position of God and that was not okay. And so in a conversation, I just ultimately said, uh, my head of my church is Christ. Yeah. And as long as he and I are on the same page and he has given me peace about moving forward, then my second priority is my husband. Mm. And yeah. if he did not have any desire to make this happen or to support this, it would have been a no for me mm. because he's the head of my household, Yeah, but he was 100% on board and supporting it. So yeah. Yeah. Um, you have to, again, people are fallible. So you have to be able to hear the Holy spirit yeah. to be able to mend the brokenness, to be able to, um, walk through trauma, to be able to put those boundaries back up where you let them down. Yeah. The Holy spirit is the one that is the only person that can give you that support. The yeah. full spirit. That's so good. That's so true. And that's the only place we can actually find truth. I know one, um, and we'll, we'll wrap with this one truth that had guided me and started was kind of like a filter for me of if I was misunderstanding scripture, maybe I didn't know I was taking it out of context, but somehow it wasn't serving its purpose. I was misunderstanding. It was when I read in the new Testament where it says the kingdom of God is, um, peace, joy, and righteousness in the Holy spirit. And the right. Lord used that to begin to challenge me. He said, generally, if there's any environment in your life where peace, joy, and righteousness aren't ruling, then the kingdom of God is not functioning there as it's That's supposed right. to be. And so if your marriage, if peace, joy, and righteousness are not functioning in your marriage, then the kingdom of God is not established there as it should be. So you've got to reevaluate and deconstruct. What am I believing? What lies might be happening that's sabotaging our ability to walk in peace, joy, and righteousness. It could be someone's trauma, or it could just be some wrong beliefs or some gender beliefs or some personal beliefs or whatever that are causing the kingdom of God not to be functioning in that. And so that applies to all of your relationships, relationships with your kids, relationships with parent or with parents, with peers, with coworkers, um, in ministry, peace, joy, and righteousness in the Holy Spirit is what the kingdom of God looks like. And so that is one red flag that we can look for, um, or one, one filter to be looking for, look at the fruit because a good tree produces. Good yeah. Fruit. I would also say you have to think about that with, with, therapy as well, because, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of people, um, will avoid therapy because it's, you know, they feel like I should just go to God for everything, which is true. That is true. God is your first source. Mm -hmm. Um, but they will avoid therapy or they'll go to therapy and 100% hear what the therapist says as gold. Mm -hmm. And they know in their gut, it's against what the word of God says whatever, whatever's being said, this, it, that's against the word of God. And so everything in life should be measured up to his word yeah. and be able to bring you peace. And if it doesn't bring you peace, then it's not the intention God has for you, the, yeah. the purpose or the path that you're supposed to be on. Yeah. And so, you know, there's all kinds of, I, I, really do challenge people. If you ever have any kind of trauma or mental health issue, please see a professional. Yes. Whilst also mm -hmm. going to the real professional yeah. for your life, the one who created you. 
Yeah. Because they should be in tandem. There should be the creator who only knows how to design you best mm -hmm. and fix you best. Yeah. Whilst also being able to give the knowledge to somebody who went to school, they they have the ability to hear God too and can point you in that direction. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's all kinds of different types of therapy um, that you can experience. Um, I will say the the best one, and you and I talked about this before, the best one for any trauma therapy is EMDR. Mm -hmm. um, it is a very hard therapy to go through, but it is well worth it if you're willing to. EMDR therapy is just for anyone who's unfamiliar, that has been found to be the most effective therapy for veterans who've been through the war. And we all know veterans can experience so much trauma that it shuts down the rest of their life and, and cripples them um, in other environments or, or shuts down parts of their personality because they had to carry so much, seeing so much in war. So if EMDR therapy can help veterans recover from the trauma they experienced in war, my goodness, that's a major like sales pitch point. <laughs> Talk therapy. It just lasts longer. It's as effective, but EMDR is very fast. It is very intense, but it, it's done quickly. Mm -hmm. um, trauma therapy that you do through talk therapy is actually very long. It could last a year, sometimes even two years because you're rehashing things. Mm -hmm. uh, so a lot of people don't like to talk and EMDR, there's really no talking. Mm -hmm. It's you're processing images in your brain that are from your memories, the traumatic memories. Wow. And so it is the most effective because it's, it's addressed really quickly and you can move on quickly. Wow, it is just a very hard therapy. So for anybody who doesn't know what EMDR is, it's eye, eye movement, desensitization, reprocessing. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, and it's kind of a therapy that when you are sleeping, your eyeballs are doing REM sleep. They kind of go back and forth because they're crossing the midline of your brain. So you have two hemispheres on your brain, right and left hemisphere. In the middle of the night, those two pieces of your brain are talking to each other, trying to figure out what do I put, where do I put this particular piece of information inside our filing system? Mm -hmm. And so they're talking back and forth. Does it go in the artistic side? Does it go in the scientific side? Has it, has it been a trauma? Is it something that we've seen before? And so what it's doing is it's sending off electronic impulses that causes your eyeballs to go back and forth mm -hmm. and it's crossing your midline. Well, EMDR is basically getting your brain to do that exact same thing in daylight hours when you're not sleeping. Mm -hmm. And it's the therapist's way of causing you to focus on whatever the traumatic picture is in your brain so that you can find the right file that it goes into. Because when we're traumatized, it feels like that trauma is constantly in our face and it affects everything we do, everybody we talk to, every scenario we have to live out has something to do with that trauma. Mm, wow. And I, I, yeah, it's, someone explained to me that uh, mm -hmm. yeah, a healthy brain can communicate right to left, like, or logic to logic and emotion interchangeably because they should, so you can have, that's why you can have a conflict resolution relationship or conversation right. where right. you're maybe sharing something that was emotional, but you can also use logic and reason to see from the other person's perspective right. and, and take responsibility. And so a healthy brain can be both emotional and logical at the same time. Yes. But when you go through a trauma, 
um, it it bursts the ability for your brain, like that, that center line, if you will, it wreaks havoc on that center line and those communication wires that go back and forth. It's like it cuts those wires so that someone who's been through trauma either lives on the hyper emotional side or lives on the hyper logical side, but has a hard time engaging both. And the EMDR yes. therapy helps reconstruct those wires across both sides of the brain. It rebuilds the bridge, if you will, so that you can have a healthy brain again that's able to process things without getting stuck in one hemisphere or the other. Right, right. Because when you have a trauma, it's what happens to your brain is it sees it as a current event, even if it happened 10 years ago. Mm. And um, it'll kind of relive it out. That's why people have nightmares when they've had trauma, mm. um, because they're they're trying really hard while they're sleeping to process it. But instead, it's so traumatic because, like you said, those wires have been cut that it lives it out in its dream mm. and still isn't able to put it where it goes. And um, trauma is a halt stopping event. So this means like with the military, if they were in a war situation, something in their life has stopped. Maybe they stopped wanting to drive. Maybe they stopped wanting to be in a relationship with their wife. Like they ditched the whole relationship. Something has stopped that their brain has connected to the military, to the, to the war that they experienced. They cut it off and didn't give it access anymore. And so when you see a halt stopping situation, that is identified as PTSD. And that is something that needs trauma therapy. And most military veterans have experienced it. Mm. And so the biggest population for EMDR is vets, but then the second biggest population is sexually abused people. That would make sense. That would make a lot of sense. So thank you for sharing all this. Obviously, we went really long because we had so many beautiful things to cover. Um, how can people connect with you and what resources do you have if they wanted to connect? I know you mentioned you'd written a book. And so yes. what's the name of that? Can they find it on Amazon? All those things. So the book is called Not Just Somebody's Daughter. It's mm. um, Restoration from Sexual Abuse. Mm. It was written when I was early, early 30s. And so please bear with it. Um, but it, the, the purpose is for people to be able to see healing from sexual abuse, that it is, it is possible. Um, and yes, it's on Amazon. Okay. It's called not just somebody's daughter. Um, the other thing on the 13th, I'm actually, um, speaking at the conference, um, armor of God. So you can go to armor of God dot Bible journaling conference.com. That's a long title. It's a very long title. So I'm speaking on how to Bible journal and actually I'm talking about soil. That was my topic. And then, you know, you can visit me on Instagram, uh, Pastor Sarah Jane and Facebook, Pastor Sarah Jane. And I have a website, pastorsarahjane.com, um, where both churches are listed on the website as well. Yeah. Awesome. Thank yeah. you. And um, we'll put yeah. those links in the show notes. If you can send those to me, especially the journaling one, that was a little lengthy. I couldn't remember. <laughs> yeah. And so we'll put it in the show notes. If anyone wants to connect, they can do that. And you guys make sure and stay tuned. Make sure you're subscribed <laughs> to Java with Jen, wherever you listen to your podcast, because you won't want to miss our second episode, which is the lies women believe about church. And you got a little taste test maybe of it in some moments of this episode. And so it's going to be a good one. We're going to dive deeper on that. Otherwise, thank you so much for 
for rating and reviewing the show. It is so encouraging to me to see that, but then it also helps others who are checking things out to be like, yes, you need to listen to the show. So thank you so much for doing that. And uh, make sure to send this episode to a friend. If you know someone who's got some tough relationships or they need some boundaries or they need to know about EMDR therapy or whatever, send it to your friend and um, you never know whose life might be changed by the information in this episode. So thanks guys for listening. We will see you next week. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's show. Listen, let's stay connected. Come follow me on Instagram at Java with Jen, where you can follow the latest and say, hey, it's a really great way to stay in touch. Many of you have also asked how you can support the show. You can make donations through the Anchor app or on Patreon, or of course, by sharing, rating, and reviewing on social media and iTunes as well. Your heartfelt feedback always reminds me why I do this. Also, don't miss our merch store where you can get super cool Java with Jen swag and coffee. Find it at javawithjenmerch.com. Until next time, remember, hearing God's voice is simple and he wants to be a part of your everyday life. See you next week.